0: As we uh, begin, if you'll now turn to Romans chapter 12, if you can keep your Bible there for the entire message. Let me read these eight verses before we begin, since it wasn't our primary reading. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. It says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present yourself, your body, as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think as to have sound judgment As God has allotted to each a measure of faith, for just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving. Or he who teaches in his teaching. Or he who exhorts in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. The word of the Lord. Well, I hope you enjoyed that song, offering. That's a new one there. Uh, it's written by a man named Paul Baloch. And that was a special request of mine, actually, to have that song uh, sung. Uh, I rarely get it all involved with music selection. Uh, usually I'll talk to Pastor Weiler about the theme of the sermon, about the topics we'll be covering. And uh, then he will set the groundwork for the service theme. Say he does an excellent job of that as well. Um, but why can, while contemplating today's text... Uh, offering our bodies as a holy and living sacrifice. I remembered this song from our previous church. And I said to myself, Now that'd be an excellent song for Sunday. The problem is that I forgot to tell anyone about it until last Monday. And uh, not communicating that shows uh, my lack of understanding of how long it takes, the effort it takes to learn new music and introduce it to uh, a congregation. Pastor Weiler initially responded. He looked at me. They said, We can't do it. But Connie then exclaimed, She said, John needs it for his sermon. So, from a YouTube video that I sent to her, uh, she learned to play it by ear by that evening. The next day, Pastor Weiler uh, found online the music, the sheet music, and printed it off. And then we had uh, them, along with Andrea and Nathan and Dawn, who uh, spent Wednesday evening late, and then coming in early Saturday morning to learn this song to help lead in worship. And then God is glorified through that. So before we even begin today's text, we have a real-life illustration of what it's like to offer your giftedness and service to the Lord through worship. Now worship is, is, by basic definition, a sacrifice of time, talent, or treasure that is given in adoration to God. Why do Christians adore him? Why do they worship God? It's a natural response of someone who has been born again, regenerated in their heart by the Holy Spirit, who understands their salvation. It is natural to want to worship. It's natural for everyone. Everyone knows there's a God. Even those who don't know Christ, inherently, they want to look towards something. They want to adore something. It may be themselves. It may be a false God that they make up. But everyone is made to worship. Christians were made to worship in spirit and truth, as Jesus said to the woman at the well. And worship, of course, takes many forms. In fact, there are so many forms of worship that we can't cover them all today. Uh, Instead, we're going to focus worshiping through what is called reasonable service, or spiritual service of worship. Um, But there's one principle we should look at before we continue. Hebrews 12, 28 informs us, Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. First and foremost, if we are to worship, it has to be worship. and true worship, it must be acceptable. Regardless of its form, it has to be reverent, That will be helpful as we go into our message today. Reverence, this term reverence in Hebrew isn't so much as a perception that we give others or the way that we act or standing at the front with incense and burning and stuff like that that we think of as reverent. Reverent in Hebrew means more closely to walk circumspectly, walk with caution, walk with discernment. Because God is what? He's a consuming fire. Reverence also suggests that there be an an attitude of respectful fear. Is what I'm doing at any given moment pleasing to God, or is it not? Not everything we learn from today's text, and many others, is acceptable. And remember, this Hebrews, this is in the New Testament. This is after Christ's ascension to heaven. So as an illustration, I'd like you to imagine just for a moment now that you have a six-year-old. This six-year-old states to you that they want to show to you how much they adore you and how much they respect you. And they're going to do it by screaming at the top of their lungs in the checkout aisle as you're buying groceries. (laughs) Or suppose this child, while you're baking cookies or baking something for the next day at home that this child just grabs the sugar and the flour and throws it all over the kitchen. Is that what would please you? What if the child told you, the mom, dad, I'm just expressing myself. I'm just going to express myself. Would that then cause you to enjoy that? No. 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 You would enjoy scolding them profusely. You never ask them to express themselves in that way. So that type of behavior in your eyes would be unacceptable. It would be irreverent. Now this principle of reverence becomes especially important when we talk about corporate worship. When we come together to worship through song, music, scripture reading, prayer. Is what we are doing done with caution, a level of caution and discernment? Is it acceptable to God's word? Uh, to God's word, Does it align with it? One writer said, this means that worship needs to line up according to the truths in Scripture. Adding our own version of worship and expressing ourselves is not true worship if it does not accord with the word of God. Personal expressions are worship are not indicated anywhere in Scripture and can lead to activities that are not God-honoring. Unquote. Which brings us to a great question that I'm just going to leave with you today. This isn't going to be answered today. I'm going to ask you this question. I think it's appropriate considering our topic of worship. Is a young man or woman who decides to behave ecstatically combined with a whole lot of loud noise flailing themselves about on a stage, is that worship? Or is it something that people just make up because they want to express themselves? question you'll have to answer fortunately music style is not the facet of worship we're going to discuss today Uh, instead i wanted to impress upon you this principle of reverence this principle of reverence before we go into the text circumspection Uh, when you leave today i'd like you to ask yourself the question what would god's spirit prompt me to do in response to this text out of reverence for what Christ did on the cross and in intellectually understanding that we are on earth for a very short time and we have the most important mission to accomplish in the universe, what will I do? How will I respond? How will I offer my service in a way that is acceptable? So let's begin in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It begins, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Again, we observe this principle that our offering must be, what? Acceptable. Notice to the the offerings of the Old Testament, the bodies that were laid on the altar um, and burned, in contrast to that, your body is what? Living. You are Living. That's what makes it of immense value to God. Because you're living. As long as you remain alive, you can be a perpetual offering to God. That couldn't be done with the Old Testament sacrifices. Once they were burned, they were burned. You are useful to Christ for many years. But also notice, there are similarities to the Old Testament sacrifices, just like them. Ah, that were done at the temple or at the tabernacle, your living sacrifice, we are told, in this text, must be holy and acceptable. So not all types of service, Christian service, not all are acceptable. He only accepts, accepts what he prescribes. Through the prophet Malachi, God expressed his displeasure towards Israel for offering unholy and substandard sacrifices that he did not ask for. God didn't ask for these. And God said, Oh, that there would be one among you who would shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. Now the priests who were supervising this whole operation at that time, accepting substandard sacrifices, um, It says they might just as well shut down the entire operation. Just shut it down uh, because they're wasting their time. In reality, God says there's no true worship going on because it was not acceptable. There was activity. Sure, there was lots of activity going on. There was a fire burning. There were animals that were lame and blind and sickly being thrown into the fire. God said that's not worship. That is not worship. It wasn't acceptable. What was it, do you remember, that the priests were supposed to use in order to determine whether or not the sacrifices of the Old Testament were acceptable? Do you remember where they found those parameters? In God's Word. The parameters set forth in Scripture determined whether an offering was acceptable. And acceptability is the first prerequisite of any spiritual service of worship. Some translations call this a spiritual worship. The King James describes this offering of worship as a reasonable service. And that's exactly what it is. It's reasonable. Considering what Jesus has done for us, offering an acceptable form of service to him is just reasonable. Offering God something that he didn't ask for, he doesn't want, and expecting him to receive it because we want him to, not very reasonable. And then look at verse 2. We're given a stern warning here about what to avoid. Paul writes, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Perfect. Of paramount importance, the apostle says, when it comes to reasonable spiritual service, we're not to conform to what? What we find in the world. Do not conform to it. And what is then common for worship in the world? What do you find that is common? That's easy. Anything goes, right? Anything goes. God will accept the behavior of anyone, anytime, place, on the individual's terms, not God's terms, right? Because they say, they tell us that God loves you just as you are. Doesn't matter if you spend every night out drinking or doing what you want to do with your time. You can travel every single weekend to follow NASCAR and be out of town and entertain yourself with those things. I have nothing against NASCAR. But if you're saturating yourself with all these other things, the world tells you as long as you are enjoying yourself sincerely, God appreciates you. Because it's said that God just put you here to have a good time. The problem is God doesn't love us just the way we were. He doesn't love the unrepentant, unregenerate sinner the way he is. Christ had to go die for what we are. He said... God did not place us to be here to have a good time either. He placed us to worship through service. That's why we are here. So here's a great chasm. The world says your worship, behavior, doesn't need to be acceptable. It doesn't need to be holy. All you got to do is offer it. That is a lie. Can't square it with scripture. But the world will continue to attempt to force Christians into its mold and tell us we don't have any right to declare to them or suggest to them that some things are not acceptable. But the truth is God's word does tell us what is or is not acceptable. So when it comes to determining then what is reasonable spiritual service, we can't find it by watching the world. Instead, an accurate perception of spiritual service is achieved through, what does the text say? A renewed mind. So consequently, it is essential, verse 2 says, that we must discern what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. There's only one source from which you can renew your mind and know the will of God. I expect many of you know 2 Timothy 3.16 by heart. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. So your mind processes the biblical information as you read, as you listen to God's word, and you increasingly over time respond to that in a way that is more acceptable you more pleasing to God. That's how the word works. Over time, you become more like Christ. The word of God has always been the sole resource. Listen to Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Understanding God's word is how you know whether or not your behavior is acceptable. Can't progress to pleasing God through faithful service until you at least have some rudimentary understanding of what God wants from you. So we need to renew our mind, think differently. So concerning now this reasonable spiritual service, this reasonable service. Back in verse 1, we see that there's much confusion of what society thinks of worship. That's a tough one to pin down for a lot of people. But an unsaved person hears this phrase, you know, spiritual service, worship service, service of worship. They immediately default to thinking that of some kind of, uh, you know, assembly which hopefully includes some kind of delightful praise music and a motivational speaker. Perhaps one that will give them pointers on how to live a better life right now. Many people are very open to that. They're very open to that. In addition, a lot of people are very mistaken in who actually gets served at a worship service. In fact, <clears throat> excuse me, most often or very often when you invite someone to church, you'll hear this response. Well, what type of worship service does your church offer? What exactly are you willing to serve us at your church? Because, you know, the church down the street, they served us some wonderful coffee and some wonderful biscuits and donuts in the morning. Uh, The pastor got up and served us a very motivational talk. And I was very pleased because I left the whole service feeling very good about myself. They might say, and I'm very thankful that the speaker didn't drag on too long. Your speaker at your church doesn't drag on too long, does he? But corporate worship is not what's being described here in Romans 12. Uh, The idea of service here is what we offer God in response to and appreciation for what he's done by saving us from our sins. In fact, It represents the time, talent, and treasure you gladly sacrifice for the benefit of others, others in the congregation. You sacrifice it to serve God and for the distinct purpose of proliferating the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your friend might say, sacrifice? Oh dear. I didn't think you guys would have to offer something, would you? You mean that's what you do at your congregation? you have to offer something? Oh, I didn't sign up for offering something. I can't believe actually that people do that. See, unsaved people don't understand at all that Jesus Christ has purchased us with his blood and he's brought us together to serve one another, to serve him, to worship him and grow his church. Christians don't attend church to receive something. What we come with is the intention of offering something. Isn't that what worship has always been? When you would go to the temple, when you go to the altar, you'd always bring something to offer God. Well, as a fallen sinner who uh, is by nature separated from God, they can't understand this, they can't comprehend it until the Holy Spirit has come into their life. But when that repentant sinner finally accepts that God's perfect sinless son endured torture and humiliation and death of a, on a cross for his or her sins. Then he rose on the third day. He rules his church from heaven. He's in the majesty on high. The only reasonable response
1: is to serve him. That's only reasonable
0: as a living sacrifice. That is what becomes spiritual service. It's reasonable service, and it's categorically worship. And the Holy Spirit enables you and I just to do, to do just that. Uh, once you believe in Christ, immediately when you believe in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into your heart and seals you. He gives you enhanced skills. Maybe not completely new skills all the time, but enhanced skills. He bestows on a Christian a compelling desire to use those same skills in an act of worship. That's non-negotiable. You can't have saving faith without it. I've encountered a lot of people that say, you know, uh, I'm a Christian, but I'm not going to church. Don't have time. Don't want to be involved, really. Don't need that spiritual service. Then I ask them, well, well, how do you know that you're saved? How do you know you're a Christian? Most of the time they say, well, I believe. I believe that Jesus was the Son of God. I believe that uh, he's raised from the dead. And a lot of times they can really recite a whole lot of excellent theology. So what? There's a lot of people, a lot of believers, a lot of atheists that can recite a lot Of excellent theology. According to James 2.19. It says that even the demons believe. And they shudder. But you. Are you willing to be recognized. You foolish man. That faith without works is dead. Then James summarizes. His passage there. In James chapter 2. You see that a man is not justified by. Works. or, Or justified by works. And not faith alone. Now what's all that mean? Pretty hard stuff, isn't it? No. What it means is, is although the forgiveness of sins, your salvation, what God has done for you in the cross, forgiveness for all of the th- that you've done is a completely free gift from God. Entirely. You cannot earn heaven. But the fact is, a true Christian, once they've been indwelt by this Holy Spirit who's Adoring God, who's adoring Jesus Christ, um, the fact is they will want to serve in some way. That's what James is saying. Your faith, if it doesn't result in some kind of action at some level, somewhere, sometime, it's dead. Even Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, which we love to recite all the time, often we leave off verse 10. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. The whole reason that Christ recreated us and brought us into his church, into his body, it's for the purpose of doing works that will glorify him. That's what James is saying. <clears throat> and the presence of good works is how you can distinguish a true Christian from a counterfeit. Listen to what Jesus said. Every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you who, you will know them by their fruits by their behavior by their works not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven jesus says but he who does the will of my father who is in heaven they will enter again we see that true conversion results in action no action no conversion So now that we're all reinvigorated here, we're all reinvigorated to serve, just have a simple question. You're there with the Holy Spirit. You're you're, you're indwelt by God. It's not for me to decide at all. But I have a question. Considering what Christ has done for you, for each of us who know him, what is reasonable service? It's not for me to answer for you. You're going to have to decide what is reasonable. So drawing attention back to Romans 12, we first discover briefly what this spiritual service does not look like. What it doesn't look like, first and foremost. It says that spiritual service is not prideful. Verse 3, For through the grace given to me I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So this verse eliminates any possibility of a spiritual gift called self-supremacy. A person with that superiority complex thinks very, very highly of himself, very lowly of others, so much so that he finds it necessary to correct everyone all the time. Um, those who are serving with their talents that are through verses 6 through 8, um, this person likes to scrutinize. They don't attend church to worship at all. Oftentimes, this person doesn't want to serve. They don't want to teach. They surely don't want to encourage or give or lead or display mercy. I In mean, reality, he or she often comes not to worship but to find something wrong in fact a lot of times if a person gets carnal this can even happen to a born-again believer Um, you can possibly come to church and worship uh, or to worship excuse me um, you find your greatest joy just simply trying to find something wrong that happens happens to some level everywhere every church no one's immune immune from this but in verse 3 Instead of that, it says use sound judgment. Sound judgment would do what? It would evaluate things realistically. That's demonstrated in first Thessalonians chapter five. It says, But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work live in peace with one another a person with sound judgment would both appreciate and esteem the others who are out laboring diligently there's a lot of them here as an example it'd be very unprofitable for me to come out here and look at the lawn and criticize the lawn crew for driving north south when I think they should be going east west just because I want it that way It really doesn't make any difference. That wouldn't be sound judgment, would it? At least the grass is cut. As they're saying, I'm glad the grass is cut. I know a story of a young man um, who for years traveled with his musical family. Um, I only use the young man's first name as to not reveal his identity. Um, His first name was Gerald. Of course... Musical missionaries, you know, often work quite closely with the sound booths when they, and the volunteers that work in the sound booths and work with the equipment. And after one particular service at a, at a church he'd visited, this young man, Gerald, overheard a gentleman who volunteered in the sound booth. He shared how he handles criticism. And the man, while acknowledging his efforts weren't always perfect, said this. He goes, Sometimes people like to criticize the way I do things. But I simply say to them, I like it the way I'm doing it a whole lot better than the way you aren't doing it. (laughs) That's Paul's point. Use sound judgment. It says also judge soberly. Use that sound judgment or judge soberly. Um, The text says, as God has allotted each a measure of faith. This doesn't imply a measurement as as far as how much faith you have, whether you're half full or three-quarters full or a quart low. No, all Christians have the same faith. Either you have faith and you're saved, or you don't have faith and you're not saved. Um, Instead, this measure of faith is, again, a sober assessment. It's a sound judgment, as the verse says, in evaluating and measuring your own giftedness. Using your faith to measure your giftedness. And your faith should afford to you some confidence. It should give you a measure of confidence as to where you fit. This text is all about service. You should know how to grasp the sense of your own spiritual giftedness and have a confidence of how to exercise it appropriately. You're measuring it to where it fits in the service That everyone else is doing. Um, Pastors are here to assist you with that. As you'll see in a text in a moment from Ephesians chapter 4. We're here to help you. You likely have a pretty good inclination. But nonetheless we can help serve you in that. Um, The rationale for soberly assessing. um, That comes in verse 4. It says... For just as we we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So using the analogy of a body, the, the Apostle Paul says, just like a human body, to function properly and to thrive, all members of the spiritual body need to rely on one another. So when thriving What does a healthy body typically look like? It's growing, right? It's nourished. It's growing. Um, Spiritual service works uh, works through growth, or works into growth. We grow in size. We grow in Christ-likeness. We grow together through serving together. And listen to the text in Ephesians chapter 4. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, Scripture says, when he ascended on high, he, let, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. He gave some as apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the works of service and for the building up of the body of Christ. So a healthy body is built up numerically. A healthy body is built up spiritually as individuals. We become more, in, uh, more mature in our faith. We grow that way. And we grow in harmony. When you're serving with people in ministry, the service, again, you're working side by side with other people You get to know them. You get to love them. You get to appreciate them. So there's all kinds of growth that comes through service. And looking at the gifts now listed in verses 6 through 8, you'll find that there are very general categories. This will only take a moment. They're quite self-explanatory. Verse 6. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given us, each of us is to exercise or offer them accordingly if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. These are very uh, self-evident. I don't need to go in depth with these. Um, But there is one. Let's take just a moment here uh, talk a little bit about the gift of prophecy. There is a huge misunderstanding with the term prophecy. Uh, the Hebrew term to prophesy, it simply means to speak forth God's message, to proclaim God's message. It is a gift of proclamation. It is not a gift of prediction. God chose numerous prophets to proclaim his message. And as as a result of all that, we now have a completed Bible. Uh, the Bible's written a written record of those who proclaimed God's message. You know, the Bible includes the law and the prophets, the scriptures that were written during the time of the apostles. And do you remember how it was determined whether a prophet was truly speaking this message from God? The prophet would predict a future event. See how these can get mixed together? You see, prediction was not the prophet's trade. God didn't gift him and send him for the purpose of prediction. He sent the prophet for proclamation. Supply a message. Accurate prediction actually simply verified that he was the real deal. That went along with it. Proved that the message was from God, because if you could predict future events, then your message is likely right. If it didn't take place, it showed the man spoke presumptuously. His message was not from God. He was a fraud. And does anybody remember what the failure to predict with 100% accuracy resulted in? That prophet was Stoned. He wasn't given 99.9. It had to be 100% accuracy, accurate, Deuteronomy 18.20 says, or he will pay with his life. Because he wasn't a real prophet. He was misleading the people. Now today's God, and, and today, God's word is complete. Um, many passages affirm that. Uh, take one, the last chapter of Revelation warns you do not add to and you do not subtract from God's word. So prophecy was more akin to declaring the written word before it was written. As much like preaching, much like preaching, but not always directly from a book, from the book. Why? Because the book wasn't completed yet. So God gifted prophets to continue declaring the message until the book was completed. Um, Now the now that the apostolic age is closed, no one is declaring new messages. We aren't getting new messages. There are no prophets today. If there were, I want to know next week's lotto numbers. And if they don't come true, what can we assume? What do we have to do? Any takers? No. While prophecy, prophesying, the text says that the gift was exercised in proportion to the faith. Proportion is the word analogia. We get our word what? Analogy. Analog. This gives the idea of a proper comparison of two or more things. It's not Again, it's not a half full, three quarters full, a court low scenario of faith. Uh, similar to verse 3, the prophet was supposed to be humble first use sound judgment and then assess the magnitude of his gift a prophecy he need to needed to assess soberly his gift then he would demonstrate it proportionately to fit where it to fit doctrinally in God's word he had to be very discerning on what he was proclaiming forth to know how does this fit It's not a lot different, again, from preaching today or teaching today in Nathan's group. How does this fit the whole Bible? The prophet was supposed to, in proportion to his faith, understand that. How does this fit concerning the Old Testament? How does this fit concerning the future? That's what the proportion of his faith was used for. If he wasn't sure, I don't know, maybe he had to dial it back a bit. It's a warning again. Beyond that, prophecy was a sign gift. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it was for a sign. Meaning it had to be accompanied by irrefutable, perfect miracles. Office of the prophet, just like that of apostles, is closed. There are none left today. What you're seeing on TV and people making predictions that come true 50% of the time, like the president... I saw a video of one last night. One of these self proclaimed prophets proclaimed uh, with certainty, because God had told him on TBN, who was going to be the next president Mitt Romney. He said with certainty, I know, because God has told me. Folks, there's no new message. God's word is complete, it is sufficient. People aren't coming to you and saying, God told me to tell you this. Respond to that and say, just tell God to tell me personally. It doesn't need to come through you. Tell him to come directly to me. Take the shortcut. So commentators feel this idea of self-assessment that we're talking about with prophecy, knowing where you fit, knowing the the rationale behind your gift uh, applies actually, it could grammatically apply to This whole list here we see in verses 6 through 8. That may be correct. uh, But service begins then with a sober self-assessment. And here's the question I asked earlier today. What is reasonable? As a response in spiritual service, considering what Christ has done for you. What is reasonable? is Do you have the gift of teaching in some capacity? Are you like Barnabas? Do you excel at encouraging others and exhorting them? Do you give the gift of, or have you been given the gift of financial giving? It says, do so liberally. Are you good at leading? Leaders are people who get others in positions to serve. Uh, Leaders can arrange people, they, they can administrate. If you've got that gift, other people respond easily to your giving directions. They will follow you. Um, what about the gift of mercy? Are you adept in sharing other people's pain and suffering? The text says if you're going to do so, do so with a cheerful spirit. Don't visit one in, someone in the hospital just because you can endure well other people's suffering. Don't just go in and say, looks like the end to me. Be cheerful. Be cheerful. It's funny that The Apostle Paul had to include that, isn't it? Be cheerful. And this list is in no way intended to be exhaustive. These are broad categories. And the ways you can be involved are abundant and diverse. Each is equally important. No one's more important than the other. So where do you fit? Where do you fit? What's reasonable service, considering what Christ has done? Is it mowing grass? Is it in facility maintenance uh, um, which helps hundreds of people not only attend worship services during the week but children's services on the weekend uh, or in the week, uh, vacation, Bible school all these different things that we'll have set up it helps to facilitate that service is very broad we're very blessed by servants people who will lay down themselves to serve others that is, that's the best that's the number one gift, most important gift here Um, is it Proclamation. If it is, I got a street sign for you. Go out there and tell others about it. We got to have things proclaimed. That's the uh, that's the most important gift here. Number one, most important, proclamation. Or is it being a kind leader? You can go to other people and they'll work under you because you serve them and you motivate them to want to serve more because you've got the gift of leadership. That's so important. It's the most important gift here, number one. Has God given you the gift of mercy? When people are dying, when people are sick, when they've lost loved ones, can you come alongside them and help them? Encourage them. That's the most important gift. Very important gift. I think you get the picture. It's all so important to be a living sacrifice to God. So one more. Have you given, has God given you a heart for generous giving? If so, see me in my office directly after service. I think you get the picture. Um, next week, we're going to have tables set up. We're going to have some options. It's not exhaustive. There's going to be a few here. Come and talk to us. We'll encourage you. There are places to serve. This will go on one more week now, and, and we'll have a wonderful ministry fair. You aren't sure what you want to do? What God's causing you to do? Talk to us. Uh, if something doesn't work, we'll find another fit. Don't be afraid to volunteer because you're like, I don't want to get into one ministry. Find out I don't like it and then be serving 20 to life. <laughs> We're not Alcatraz here. We don't function in that way. We just want to equip you to serve Jesus Christ and bring glory to him. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. We're just so overjoyed at, at Lord, how you are so generous to us, how you give us grace, Lord, as sinners, how we can come together and encourage and love one another. Lord, uh, it it truly is a blessing to serve you, Lord. And, And I'm so thankful for this entire congregation, Lord. We praise you together for all that you've done, all those that you've brought to know yourself through Christ and through outreach. And, Lord, all the events that have been held uh Outside and this facility that we have, Lord, thank you for giving it to us. Thank you for those who uh, work hard, especially Tim, Lord, who uh, who just give their time and, and everything just with joy. So wonderful to see. That's how we know you're real, Lord, as people are willing to lay down their lives as a living sacrifice, Lord. Please bless our the rest of our day. Lord, help us grow us in all ways, all dimensions, Lord, to honor you. In Jesus' name we pray.